This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Real Estate Agents, I Trust.com. Charlie Harari show. Ethan Couch, the affluenza teen, is sentenced for two years. Why that matters to us. Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton faced off this week and ahead of the New York primary. And what does the Sanders campaign say about maybe the the worst part about us? Ted Cruz doing his own thing, teaching us a lesson about life. Kobe Bryant played his last game. And I had dinner last night with an individual who was arguably one of the most successful financial advisors in New York, and he gave me a secret to his success. What does it all have to do with each other? Well, it's all coming up right now. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. Uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. And welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Charlie Harari Show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. Really appreciate and, and I'm honored by your coming together and being part of this show. Thanks again. Uh, always feel free to reach out to me and uh, you can email me at charlie at charlieharari.com. So much to talk about. There was so much going on this week. Let's jump in right away to a whole bunch of what seems like random stories, but they actually all have a very specific principle. And that's what the show is all about. For those that are joining us for the first time right now, we look at the world every week and try to figure out a lesson that we can take home from it or we can go back and look at it in a new way and become better people and there's a couple of stories going on this week that I think is going to give us maybe an insight to our maybe the worst uh, uh, the the tougher parts of us the the less successful parts of us the, the the habits that need to be changed the issues if you will let's start with Ethan Couch Ethan Couch for those who remember is known as the affluenza teen what am I talking about a few years ago Ethan Couch was a one of these kids, these very pampered, spoiled kids, and he was uh, driving his truck young, I think he was 16 years old at the time, with three times the legal limit of alcohol in his system and hit four people who were helping a broken-down car on the side of the road, killing all four of them, if you can imagine that with his pickup truck, injuring the two people with him. He's was tried as a juvenile and got this sweetheart of a deal that nobody expected of 10 years probation. Now, he's called the affluenza teen because of the defense that was mounted during the trial, which his lawyer argued that he suffered from affluenza. What is affluenza, you may ask? It's not a sinus infection. Affluenza is this concept that because he was coddled and spoiled and, you know, living in an affluent, you know, circumstance, he was incapable of making certain decisions and so he should not be held responsible. Now, if you're if you're doubling over in laughter that this is an actual defense, you are not alone. I went to law school. I was a lawyer for 10 years. When I heard this for the first time, I thought it was a joke. I thought like it was like an article from The Onion or something that someone would actually argue in court that this I was he, my client was born to wealth, and so why should we expect him to be part of society? Like that to me... I don't know, but crazier things have happened, I guess. Maybe not that much crazier, but the judge bought it, which doesn't speak very high of certain aspects of our legal system, but the judge bought it and gave Ethan a pass on life, sentencing him just to 10 years of probation, which means stop drinking, stop being an absolute moron, and become a healthy part of our society. Is that so difficult, Ethan? No, it's not. 
especially because you have life handed to you on a silver platter. And last I checked, you're not working at the gap to make sure you have enough money to hang out with your friends on the weekends. But Ethan couldn't do that. And he went back to his old ways. And a few years later, there was a picture circulating from one of his, I think it was a birthday party, in which he was drinking. Well, drinking alcohol was one of the things he was on probation for. So as soon as the picture circulated on Facebook or whatever it was, Ethan was scared that if his probation officer would have seen it, he would have been brought back to court and given a harsher penalty. So Ethan's mom, the paradigm of parenting, said, hey, Ethan, as opposed to taking responsibility and going into the probation officer, admitting what you did was wrong and suffering the consequences of doing the wrong thing, why don't instead me and your father continue to teach you how to be an absolute drag on society and we're going to show you what it means when you do something wrong and what you're supposed to do next, which is to run away. So his mom, Tanya, took Ethan to Mako, thinking that they're fine and safe over there. So the story, the saga only continues if you're following along on this one. So now Tanya and Ethan are hiding in an apartment in Mexico. One day in their fugitive status, Ethan gets hungry, so he orders a pizza on his credit card. Now, if you're in national security or if you just have basic common sense, you're thinking, that's a really bad idea because we live in the age of computers and on all likelihood, if he was a fugitive, somebody put a stop or a flag on his A, passport or B, credit card. And of course, minutes after he orders the pizza, the delivery guy is the cop and he gets brought to Texas, and now, while he was in custody, he turned 19, so he could have been charged as an adult, and this week, the judge handed out a sentence of two years of jail time, 180 days, four times for each person that he killed. Now, this story captured headlines, and I am shocked as to why it is. Even when I tell you the story, I I wonder if you are, like, getting agitated, right? Like, why do we care about some kid and his legal battles? We're not like, you know, there are a lot of people doing a lot of things. There are a lot of dumb people driving while drunk. There's a lot of people being injured. We're not looking these people up. We're not sitting around and watching the court records for the, the revenge on these people. Why do we care so much about... Ethan Couch and his and his life story. Why does it bother us so much that this kid gets away with the affluenza dumb defense and then blows his probation and is picked up and we get some level of comfort, I guess, that he is now being punished? What is it about Ethan Couch that sort of gets America to pay attention? And I think the answer is that there's a piece of us that we all struggle with and that Ethan sort of represents inside us. I think there's a a piece of the story, the Ethan Couch affluenza teen story, that brings up, if you just think about it, that brings up a, a side of who we are that can keep us mediocre our whole lives. What do I mean? So I want to sort of jump to the next story. And we're going to hit these three or four stories throughout this this show today. And then we're going to tie it all a little up, hopefully in a nice little bow, and use it as a way to get better. To me, one of the greatest stories that I'm sure people are talking about, but I'm just shocked by it, is the story of Bernie Sanders. Why and how Bernie Sanders is still running for president shocks me. I think it shocks everybody, but it shocks me too. Bernie Sanders is a out-of-bounds, out-to-lunch, old, washed-up, crazy old man. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean that in an actual way. I don't mean that he's like 
I'm not trying to to ridicule him. I'm trying to say that his policies, his thinking is literally crazy. I mean, he's his ideas about free everything for everybody. His way of just sort of dismissing large companies as if they're all evil. His general sort of attack at anybody that has money. These they they, they don't make any real sense. I mean, how who doesn't want freebies? But Bernie Sanders seems to just be getting more and more and more popular and the the more he sort of just flippantly says rich guys will pay for everything and Verizon doesn't pay for taxes and all the big companies are bad and all the little guys are good and you know it's all on the house guys it's all on the house all on grandpa Bernie the more popular he gets and and you've heard, heard this from me before but I'm just constantly amazed by this life I, I just don't understand I don't understand how anybody could could show up at a rally or vote for a man who's going to take our already crippling debt and just push it up a notch who's going to take people and just hand them free stuff but he's popular I mean super popular and why is that and I think the answer is the following and they're interconnected and I want to start to talk today to you about this idea that exists in every single one of us. And, I, and if we could just for this show, just identify it and just sort of like pull it out and stick it on the mantle and look at it together just for a few minutes, I think we'll see something that exists inside us. And that is every single one of us battles and grapples with something. And that is responsibility, right? We Responsibility is a very, very hard and difficult concept. Deep down, the, the transition, the bridge from being a child to being an adult is the difference, not in your age, not in your income, not in your ability to get a job, not in your ability to get a diploma. The difference between a child and an adult is who is responsible. A child is not responsible, right? It's the parents that are responsible for the child, right? I have children. It's amazing just how much they will take no responsibility on their actions. It's always the parents' fault. They will literally stare and if you have kids, you know this. They will stare at a cabinet and say, I'm hungry. They will open a fridge and look at it and go, Ma, I'm hungry. And my wife would be like, yeah, you're staring at the fridge. Put your hand in it, pull something from it, and feed yourself. You're 12 you're 13, you're 15, we're not six months old. And the answer is, they're kids. They're eight years old, right? They can't put their hand, unless it's like, you know, chocolate or sugar, they're not going to, they're just going to, they're not responsible, right? You're responsible for everything for them. There's no sense of self-responsibility. Now, some kids, and you may be one of them, grew up in an environment where you have to take care of yourself. You learned how to be an adult even though you were only 13 years of age. So the transition of being an adult to being, from being a child is the, the ability to be responsible for what we do, what we say, who we are, responsible for our own income, responsible to pay our bills, responsible to make amends when we, make, when we ruin things, right? Responsible to inspire ourselves, responsible to connect to our creator. These are all major league responsibilities that kids don't have, right? If you grew up in a more faith-based background, you know that as a kid growing up, if you went to a school that also taught you about faith, about your religion, it's always the teacher's problem to get you inspired about God and not your own. This is an issue, by the way, that is not just a physical issue. It's actually one of the most fundamental issues in the world. In fact, it's it was the first issue that man ever dealt with. 
Right? This isn't a new problem. If you remember the story, God puts Adam in, in the garden and says, hey, enjoy yourself. And Adam's like, yo, thanks, this is amazing. I mean, this fruit and this and that. And, and he's like, God's like, yeah, it's on the house. Like, you know, just relax. It's like, you know, it's a tropical vacation for life. You never go back to work. All you got to do is enjoy. And Adam is like, this is the best deal ever. And God goes, yeah, sure. Hey, by the way, one thing. And Adam's like, what? God's like, there's one tree in the middle. Just don't eat from it. And Adam's like, yeah, sure. No problem. It's a tree, right? It's not the smorgasbord. It's not, no, it's just, it's, it's an apple tree. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, no problem, God. I'll just steer clear from the one tree. And God's like, great, Adam, you know, enjoy. Right. Remember that? So, you know, the story, snake, Eve, Adam, God shows up and goes, Hey, what'd you do? And Adam did the one thing that no man should do for the rest of history and eternity. He blamed his wife. And God's like, ah, no, you didn't. Because even I can't save you from that. And Adam does the thing that we all do. He points the finger. It's not my fault. Not me. Not me. It's the woman that you gave me. God, Adam's even blaming God. It's the woman you gave me. That's not my fault. I didn't choose to eat it. She gave it to me. I'll tell you even more. You gave her to me. So in fact, maybe God, Adam says, it's your fault. Can you believe that? And that, by the way, is what gets Adam kicked out of the garden. Adam doesn't get kicked out of the garden because he eats the food. Right? Adam gets kicked out of the garden because he doesn't take responsibility. Because if you don't take responsibility for your life, you're a kid. You don't get your life. God turns to Adam and goes, you don't get it, man. I built you in my image. I built you to be like me. You, a human being, is built with a divine image. They are repre- we are representatives of the creator. We have the power. So much greater than our bodies. But when we don't take responsibility for ourselves... We forfeit all of our potential. Because our potential only comes out through the taking on the burden of responsibility. That is the mechanism in which our potential comes to the world. When we hunker down and say, my bad. It's on me. I got this. I'll, I'll work harder. I'll get this done. I made that problem. I'll make the men's. Adam's move to shirk responsibility is, if you will, the most, is the first time a human being interacted with challenge and set in place this default mechanism we know as it's not me. Not my fault. Shirking responsibility. When we come back, we're going to talk about just how that one idea is nestled inside us. And it comes out both with Ethan Couch and Bernie Sanders. This is the Charlie Harari Show. Since you're listening to the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Charlie Harari Show. With Charlie Harari. On the Blaze Radio Network. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. And went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this uh, this company, he's you know he's kind of an important guy and kind of, you know should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, "If this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this?" So he started a company, and it went into business. I think three years ago. Their deal is their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a thousand agents across the country and they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents I trust, it's sent to somebody who already, you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's gotta be a better way. There is. Realestateagentsitrust.com.
You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Talking about responsibility. Ethan Couch, Bernie Sanders, and Adam from the famous Garden of Eden. Talking about how Adam, his Adam's real sin was his inability to take responsibility for what he did and how that was the reason why God kicked him out because, not because he was God was mad at him, because Adam didn't deserve to be in the garden. He just didn't understand who he was. Now, that story isn't just a story that's like a cool historical event. It's written in the Bible for a reason. The Bible is a, is a book of lessons, and I believe it's written in there because it is teaching us the default, the first move, our first gut reaction to problems is not my fault. You ever get in trouble and your first thinking is, how do I get out of it? You ever have that? You know what I'm talking about? Like maybe, especially when you were younger or even now, your first reaction to trouble, to problems is, how do I get out? How do I get out? How do I get out? How do I get out of it? Versus how do I head it head on? How do I take responsibility? And so inside us is this lurking problem that hangs with us our entire lives. It is this cloud of not my fault. It's you. It's my wife. It's my kids. It's my environment. I'm too rich. I'm too poor. I live in the north. I live in the south. I got a million reasons why I'm not good enough. I got a million reasons why I'm suffering. I got a million reasons why I'm not where I want to be. And let me just point a finger. And once I point a finger to somebody, it all makes them feel much better because if it's their fault, not my fault, there's nothing wrong with me. And then I can continue doing the stuff that's hurting me and not feel guilty over it. And we know it's wrong. And it grates at us. But we do it anyways. Why? And the answer is because we're so conditioned for it. We spend so much of our time as kids that when we hit adulthood, we've got so much of the conditioning of being childlike, if you will, that we know it's wrong, but it's hard to get over it. But then when we see it in somebody else, we immediately recognize it and it grates at us. Why does Ethan Couch bother so many people? Why does a really spoiled rich kid that doesn't get punished bother us? And the answer is because we look at his life and we almost say, do you know what you have You know, if Ethan Couch came from a broken, poor home where his father beat him and his mother was never around for him and he was drinking out one night and he hit some people, okay, it would be just as disastrous. It would be just as tragic. But a piece of us would say, what do you want from the kid? God gave, handed him a tough, you know, deck of cards, a tough hand. How is he supposed to make decisions? But when somebody that we find out is handed a life of material wealth and blessing. Now, in fairness, he could have had a upbringing with parents that were just as disastrous, which is entirely likely. In fact, that was one of the things he claimed. But from an outsider, when we look at someone's life that was given blessing and wealth and opportunity... An opportunity in ways that most of us don't ever have. We can't help but say to ourselves, you can do so much. Take responsibility for what you have. Take responsibility with your platform and do something with it. You were given a platform. You didn't earn it. You were just born to the right womb. You didn't work for that. You were handed something. Be a man about it. Do something with it. Make us pr- make us believe that the randomness, or should I say the fate, of your gift was not being wasted on a person who takes no responsibility for his own life. And when you hear a kid get in front of a stand and 
get drunk and hit people and stand in front of, and then complain and then argue. The the whole defense of affluenza is the ultimate Adam in the garden pointing the finger. Is it not? Can you think of a better example of Adam in the garden pointing a finger at his wife than a kid born to wealth messing up, eating the apple, right? And then standing in court not saying, hey, my bad, sorry, it was stupid. It was stupid. I I had too much to drink. I I have never once faced any consequence, and I'm just sorry. My bad. I'll, I'll pay the price. It's my fault. Me. To get up and go, hey, not only is it not my fault, I have influenza. It's society's fault. It's society's fault. They're the ones that gave this to me. They're the ones that did this to me. The fact that I've been given all this blessing and wealth, that's why I am struggling. That's why I hit people. And you hear that and you're like, are you crazy? But it stems from that core. That core, I'm not taking responsibility. That core, not my fault. And when we hear it, if you pay attention to it, it like grates at us. It's wrong. We know it. In ourselves, we can't see it, but we can see it in somebody else. So when he fleds the, flees, flees the country and ends up in Mexico, and they find him and they give him two years in prison, there's a part of us that says, good. I think prison will be good for him. Uh, I'm not saying that. I don't think prison's good for a lot of people, but maybe he'll learn. Or, or, or he, he got his due, or whatever it is coming in our minds when you see or hear something like this. Because we know deep down that responsibility is what it's all about. And that's, by the way, why I am so bothered by the Sanders campaign. I am bothered by it. I, 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 it's, you know, it, it, I think about, like, I find myself, which is so crazy for me, hoping Hillary wins because I am scared to death of a Sanders nomination especially if he's up against Trump. I mean, can you imagine two candidates that spend more time blaming everybody else? I mean, have you ever heard Bernie Sanders get up and speak without blaming somebody? Without looking at the ills of society? Would you think you would ever turn to an audience and say, hey, listen, guys, we're living in the country of the greatest opportunity in the history of civilization. We all got to take a look at ourselves in the mirror and say, hey, maybe we can just be smarter. Maybe we can just work a little harder. Maybe it's this world of it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them. The pointing of the... Now, I'm not saying that he's not making points that need to be addressed. There are parts of our economy that are broken. There are people that are getting away with basically thievery and corporate thievery. There are companies that are hurting their people. Absolutely. Let's go and make things fair. But to constantly, constantly point fingers. Why does he do it for? Because... I don't know if this is conscious or not. Because when you point a finger at somebody, when you don't take responsibility for yourself, when you let people have a free ride, when you offer people a free ride, when you're on the inside of that, it feels good. It feels good to not say to yourself, hey, wait a second, I got to go to college and get a job? You know what that means? You know how much pot I'm going to miss out on? Do you know how many extracurriculars I can? Do you know how much fun I'm not? I want college for free. Yeah, for free. Who's going to pay for it? Rich people. But how about the rich people that have worked their whole lives for this money? Nah. They're the bad guys. The banks. Now, I'm not saying every bank is perfect. Let me tell you something. There are some bankers that are out there that deserve to be, you know, dealt with. But the culture of blaming is exciting. Donald Trump's using it. 
because it allows their audience to not worry about personal responsibility. We come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but we're going to talk about it from the perspective of two seemingly very different people. I'll tell you a quick story about my son and what he has to do with Kobe Bryant, Ted Cruz, and personal responsibility. It's all coming up when we get back. Don't go anywhere. This is Charlie Harari, and you're listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. It might be painfully obvious, but it's uh, also true. That is Ted Cruz's goal. Probably nobody gets 1237. Cruz campaign so adept at picking off delegates doing the insider game, but Ted Cruz has to be concerned. He's my candidate. I'm concerned for him if he's not concerned. And that is, Trump is the only one left who could still get 1237. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Great to have you on. Thanks for sticking with us. Talking about personal responsibility, how important it is for each and every one one of us to have it, and how when someone gives us a a free ride, we take it, but we know deep down it's wrong. Ethan Couch, somebody who has shirked his responsibility, is getting his due in court this week. Um, Bernie Sanders seems to be riding high on passing that buck of personal responsibility, and I think that's why he has so many followers and even i gotta tell you and i am no hillary clinton fan but even some of his arguments uh, it's just it's just too much just such a us versus them mentality but on the flip side you got some great people out there showing us some great stuff two of which are are out there slugging through one was kobe bryant played his last game this week wednesday night he played his final game after i think his 20th season and he did it in Kobe Bryant fashion. He scored 60 points. I mean, 60 points in his final game. And also, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz has been basically on the ground getting these delegates and putting himself in a position that should Donald Trump fail to win it on the first ballot and get the nomination, he has a very high chance, I think, of actually pulling this out in a contested convention. But what is it about the two of them that make them so successful? And I think the answer has very much to do with what we said in the beginning of the, of, of the hour, which is the concept of taking responsibility. And, and I want to sort of show you in the lives of two very different people the same idea. And it hit me tonight, actually. Uh, actually, it hit me last night when I was going through um, homework with my son. So I'm sitting with my son at the kitchen table, and he's got homework to do. And I've got a five-year-old son. So remember, if you remember when you were five, you know you had those like at least today. I don't remember having them like this fun, but you know today when the teacher had a spell, right? You get that that sheet, right? And and then like you know you have the K, and there's three lines, and on the top line there's an airplane, right? And in the middle line I think it's like land, and the bottom line I think it's like a submarine. And the teacher says, okay, you got to go from the airplane down to the submarine and then meet him back up at the at the land and make a K. So, you know, my son's got like, I don't know, eight letters to do. And then you got to like down the sheet and you do let's across maybe like, you know, 10 letters across. So T and I. And so the first one he does like 100 Ts. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no room left. He, he must have done a T every single day. Second one, he does, I think it was like M, he does, but the bottom of the page was uh, K's and, um, I think they were E's, K's and E's, if I remember the homework. And I look at his page, and he looks at me, and he gets to the K's, he goes, Daddy, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, honey, just finish it. He's like, Daddy, I can't do it anymore. I'm like, honey, listen, you got two lines left, just finish it. He goes, no, I I I don't want to do it anymore. I'm like, can you just finish your homework? So for the K line, he does, like, for the T line on top, by the way, he must have done, like, 30 Ts. For the K line, he gets, like, four Ks out, and he's like, I'm done. And then, like, there was, like, two Ms, right? So you're looking at the page, the top letters have, like, hundreds, and then as you get to the bottom, there's, like, you know, this, he putters out. And I thought about this for a minute, and it's okay. He's a five-year-old kid. He can do it. You know, it's fine. But 
this idea that was really striking me was that that's how we all are, right? You start something, and it's fun. And at somewhere halfway through when you do something, that's when the responsibility to finish it comes in. That's when the responsibility to execute it starts to click in. And we, have, we, lose our, we lose our, I don't know, motivation, right? It's not fun anymore. You get that first line and you do 50 T's. You get to the fifth line of homework and you're like, ah, I got nothing left. And you sort of putter out. That's how kids operate, right? That's what a five-year-old kid does. He does things as long as it's, as long as it's fun. And then he putters out when it gets tough. You know why? Because it's not his problem. That's just how it works. It's not, it's not his problem. If it were his problem, he would fight to the last minute. And the difference between great people isn't necessarily who is better on the first line in the first few minutes. It's who's better at the end. Who has that fire? Who has that patience? Who has, if I may, that adult personal responsibility to finish a job even when the job gets boring? Do you ever do this? Do you ever start something and not finish it because it got boring? You ever get come to work and your like first hour is awesome and then you get to three o'clock and you're like in space? Why? It's because we don't feel the responsibility of executing at a high level. And so when it's exciting or if it's new or we're fresh, whatever it is, we can move forward. But as it gets closer and harder and harder, that's when we become the people that we're meant to be. And that's where most people drop out. It's the, the grind. It's the slugfest. That's what makes people great. Watching Kobe Bryant play his last game. Who was Kobe Bryant? Kobe Bryant was a kid with a lot of talent that came to the league at a high school. Now, if you think that the NBA is a place where the talented people rise, you can look, we can spend 10 shows on players with incredible talent that don't make it anywhere. To me, one of the most famous people that I grew up knowing about was a guy named Stanley Roberts. Stanley Roberts was so good that Shaquille O'Neal, the Hall of Fame center, went to play in LSU as opposed to Duke in North Carolina because he wanted to play behind Stanley Roberts. Stanley Roberts was considered one of the best centers in college history. You know who he is? Of course you don't. Do you know why? Because having talent isn't enough in the NBA. That's not what makes stars. What makes a star is his work ethic. Kobe Bryant did not become one of the greatest players in the history of basketball because he had some talent. Kobe Bryant became one of the greatest players because he worked harder than anybody around he was relentless. He was the first person in the gym. He was the last person to leave. He spent 20 years of pain and agony and pressure because he understood that only he can take himself to where he wanted to go in life. He was not relying on his coach. He was not relying on his fans. He was not relying on his coattails. He wasn't relying on the fact that he was young or he was old or he was this or he was that. None of that. He was relying on one thing. Him. Now, of course, deep down, there's gods involved and people that are smart understand that, but he puts us on this earth and says, do something. 20 years and Kobe Bryant's grinding and that's why his last season that's why if he'd come into the league and he would have been good and things would have gotten tough if he would have puttered out you know that bottom line he's like eh. seven seasons in eh. ten seasons in how many how many seasons he won five championships how hard can you play after a while like it's the same thing every day you know what would have happened he would have retired we would have clapped game over. He said he announced his retirement 
Every place he went to, fans stood up, cheered him. It was this unbelievable love fest last night. And in his last game, Kobe Bryant scores, guess how many points? In his last game, he scored 60 points. 60 points in a game. Can you imagine? 60 points. You'd think his last game, go in there, shoot a couple of shots, feel good, wave to the crowd, kiss the baby, sign the autograph, sit back down. No. 60 points every basket at the basket. Relentless, relentless to the last minute. The last line on the page. He's drawing out the E's all the way to the end. Nobody else. Nobody to turn to. Him, him, responsible, responsible, responsible. Not my dad, not my coach, not my teammates. When you have, of course, you're supposed to pass and be a team, but but when you have the drive, when you know that it relies on you, when you can man out or woman out, something inside you comes alive. That peace, that divine greatness that has been that has been hiding underneath that default mechanism of it's somebody else that is going to save me. It's somebody else that I can blame when you get to like get in touch. Oh man. You become who you become. It's a different game. That's what we're celebrating. That's what the fans celebrating. Not celebrating a guy shooting hoops. You know, I got to tell you, I think about this a lot. I'm sure you've, if you've been hearing the shows, you know how much I turn to sports. I watched the game. I, I watched the highlights this morning, and I, it hit me that this isn't a game. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for life. We respect Kobe Bryant not because he happened to have a good shot. We respect Kobe Bryant because he represents the large he is the anti-ethan couch he represents a lesson for us of what's possible with human determination what's possible with human desire what's possible in our lives when we take it that seriously and we are that obsessed with making sure that we take responsibility for everything that we do when we touch and see that we feel something comes alive inside us that's why we love him or we respect him. Or we hate him. Because we know that should be us. Because that's what it's about. It's not about winning. Remember. It's about fighting. Playing. Caring. Obsessing. Bringing out what's inside you. Taking responsibility for those around you. That's what the true measure of a human is. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Ted Cruz. And a little bit of practical advice that you can use to put this in your life right now. This is Charlie Harari listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jeff Fisher Show. Springsteen canceled his show. His comment, it's the strongest means I have for raising my voice in opposition to those who continue to push us backwards instead of forwards. Right, Bruce, because of the bathroom law, the HB2 in North Carolina. I can't use a bathroom that I feel like using. (laughs) The Jeff Fisher Show, Saturday morning, 6 to 8 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Delve into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari. Welcome back to the show. Talking tonight about personal responsibility and how it is the mechanism for our greatness or, should we shirk it, the reason for our failures. Talking about Bernie Sanders, Ethan Couch, Kobe Bryant, Adam, as in the first Adam. And I want to give a shout out to Ted Cruz. Some of you may be Ted Cruz fans. I got to tell you what, I'm not talking about his politics for a minute. And I don't want to talk about his ideology. It's for another time. But what, what I really respected this week to, to stay in line with our thinking of this show is all of the 
Now Donald Trump, who's the frontrunner in the GOP race, is realizing that he's got a huge problem. Why? Well, Donald Trump ran a campaign relying on national media. That's why he has been so successful, because when there's a terrorist bomb in Brussels, every news station calls up Donald Trump to speak and not everybody else, right? When you fly in with your helicopter and all the, na the cameras follow you, it helps. And then when you get up in public and, you know, basically make promises you can't keep and, you know, point fingers at people, it's great. So Donald Trump is the front runner, but his campaign is very sort of like national. Ted Cruz has been following Donald Trump every step of the way. Now, 17 people thought of running for president, and now there's down to three. And there's a reason for that, because in order to stick with it, it is a very long grind. Now, if you're self-funding your campaign like Donald Trump, it's a little easier because you're not spending your time sitting with people, making your case, fundraising. You're just going out to your people. If you're if you're you know, flying around on your private jet and most of your stuff is just huge campaign events and hundreds of interviews, it's a lot easier than these door-to-door, -door, you know, sort of ground campaign tactics that Ted Cruz has kept on. But yet, Ted Cruz has, now it's emerging, has outmaneuvered Donald Trump in the ground game, right? Just to give you a sense, when you win a state, Right, the state sends its delegates to the convention. Now, it doesn't mean the delegate likes you. The delegate just is bound, in some cases, to vote for you because they represent their states. But what if you don't get it on the first ballot and you, then it turns into an open convention? Well, those delegates can vote for whoever they want. So if you were a candidate, you'd want the delegates to be your supporters because then in case you go multiple ballots, they'll be with you to the end. Donald Trump didn't realize this, but the Cruz campaign did. So what was happening, what's coming out right now, is that the people that were registering to be delegates all these weeks and months, while we're all focusing on getting voters out to Iowa and to New Hampshire, and to the delegates that were lining up to represent the state of whatever were actually being recruited by Cruz supporters. Cruz has been living in the ground game. Knocking on doors, shaking hands, getting his delegates, not relying on the big pop, but just hitting it every single day, every single week. Kobe Bryant. Take responsibility. Fill in the bottom line. Be relentless. Every, he could have cried foul. They all do. He could have, you know, left the race with his tail between his legs. Everybody else has been doing that. He can say, hey, it's not fair. The crowd loves Donald Trump. The media loves Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. And he could have just said, hey, listen, not my fault. Waited it out. i got to tell you, Ted Cruz, wouldn't, it's not going to be 50 in 2020. He could have just sat this one out and said, I gave it my best and the world is crazy and let Donald do his thing. But he just continues to go out there and hit the grind and hit the grind, hit the grind. No one's fault but mine. No one's responsibility on my shoulders because that's what a leader is, on my shoulders. When you see people that have the mentality of on my shoulders, you know that there's a person in that area that you can rely on. And that's a choice that I think we all make. I think we all make these choices every day. When you look at our lives, are we the type of person that's going to point the finger? Or are we the type of person that's going to put it on our back? Are we the type of person that's waiting for someone else to give us our dreams? Or are we the type of person to go out and get our dreams ourselves? Are we the type of person that's going to take responsibility for our challenges, for our addictions, for our broken families, for our lack of success in our careers? Or are we going to look around to the, look, to the closest and the nearest scapegoat and punch it or complain about it? That's the choice. That's always the choice. And that's what I think I'm seeing this week the clearness of both sides of the aisle. You know, I had dinner 
last night with one of the most successful financial advisors in New York, and I asked him this question. He said to me something amazing. He said that as soon as he got to where he was, what got him there, he said, asked me. So he said, I was sitting at my desk one day and I realized, he said, that no one's going to give this to me. Nobody. No one's handing me anything. And so what I did was I changed what I thought would be a win. I changed my goals, he said. My goal wasn't to get the client. My goal was to put in the effort. My goal wasn't to get the result. My goal, he said, was to create the habit of what a great person would have and let the result come in. And so he created habits that great people in his industry have. Every day you make a phone call, you know, 10, whatever the the habits were. And he said to himself that if I set the bar high and act now as if what would a great financial advisor do, and I habituate myself around great effort, I know that it will achieve great results. And at that moment at his desk, he told me that he decided he was going to be great, and he was going to act great today. He doesn't need any permission. didn't need anybody else to give it to him. It was a choice he made, and a choice that he stuck with his entire life. That's your choice. That's my choice. But you got to make it. You got to make it. You got to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, am I ready to take this part of my life and be responsible for it? No matter how bad it seems, I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to be on the road every night. I'm going to be in the gym every morning. I'm going to do what it takes to push myself to a level where I can take responsibility. Because once you do that, whether you win or you lose, you become the greatest version of yourself. This is Charlie Rauer thanking you for your time, your attention. Please, always email me, charlie at charlierauer.com. Remember, life isn't meant to be good or great. It's meant to be awesome. I'll see you next week. It's more than just events. It's what they mean to your life. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari.